okay, 280 million hits that have to do with peace. I was shocked. I thought, oh, how many will there be? You know, 5 million, 10 million, maybe, maybe 50 million, 280 million pages devoted to peace. And so there are articles about the Peace Corps, Peace Prizes, Peace Poles, Peace Colleges, Peace Endowments, Peace Gardens, Peace Institutes, and Peace Protests. There are Women for Peace, uh, Buddhists for Peace, Jews for Peace, Religions for Peace, Musicals for Peace, Peace uh, uh, for Children and Children for Peace, and the list goes on and on and on. There's even, if you find Ben and Jerry's, Peace Pops, those little ice cream bars that they sell. Okay. <laughs> Um, people are hungry for peace, and if you look at these, if you look at these pages, and you go to and, and actually read some of them, you'll find that, and there's an amazing assortment of formulas and desires and expressions of finding peace, and some of these are are pretty noble and and pretty inspirational. But what you don't find there a lot of times is any proven, tested way of bringing lasting peace. Lasting peace is a hard thing. You know, we had, uh, we had a, finally a peace agreement between the um, Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland. And it's lasted for a little while, although there's still rumblings under the surface. And the IRA is still active, and the Orangemen are still active. And they're still more or less ready to kill one another. Uh, you, have, uh, you have, of course, in the Middle East, you know, what's at the center of the Middle East conflicts? Israel and its continued existence. And so you have um, periodic ceasefires and so forth, and you have uh, Hamas and other organizations that shoot rockets into civilian areas every day. About, about 3,500 rockets in the last four years have gone into civilian areas of Israel. And then every now and then, Israel and its IDF loses patience and goes and bombs those people who sent the rockets. And there's conflict. There's been conflict in that country ever since 1948 when the nation was founded. And people all over the world are on different sides of that conflict and are on different sides of, of other kinds of conflicts within Within the world today, there are at least 50, depending on how you count them, armed conflicts that go on on places all over the world. Uh, several in Africa, uh, of course, Northern Ireland, the Middle East, everywhere around our world. There's conflicts either between countries or within countries. A lot of times there are armed groups that fight one another, either uh, two armed sets of individuals or an armed resistance group versus the government of that country. And people are hungry for peace, and they're tired of conflict. But a lot of times, uh, we treat conflict as if it's sort of a superficial, easily solvable thing. And we can come at it kind of like uh, Jeremiah talked about. In Jeremiah 6.14, he said this. He said, "...they dress the wound of my people as if it were not serious. Peace, peace." they say, when there is no peace. And fortunately for us, we don't have to wade through 280 million internet pages to find peace. Uh, because if we look at our Bible, we find there, in, those, in these pages, the God of peace. And if you remember back at the creation, 
every time God would make something new, he would pronounce it good. And there was evening and there was morning the first day and it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the second day and it was good. And then you get to the end. And God looks over everything that he has made and it is what? Very good. Everything is at peace. Uh, there is love and there is order and there is harmony. And these three things compose together what the Hebrews summed up in the, their Hebrew term, shalom. There is order and love and harmony. Shalom. And, of course, that shalom didn't last long, did it? Uh, you know, you, you got the two people in there. They had the incident with the snake and the fruit. Um, they fell into sin, and all of a sudden there was conflict. There was conflict between the man and the woman, between humanity and the snake, between humanity and God, between nature and itself, between man and himself. All of a sudden, there was conflict where there had been shalom before. But the great thing about the Bible is that it moves from creation to conflict to new creation, where shalom is restored, where peace comes again. And it comes through an interesting process that we could have never imagined, through the death of God himself to restore peace to humanity and to the world. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And so we want to look at how we lay hold of real biblical peace. And I want to give you five principles. I don't know if our PowerPoint is ready up there or not. But um, real peace is a priority to God. Okay? Uh, consider who God sent to restore peace to a broken world. Uh, he didn't send an angel. Have you ever, ever thought about that? You know, God has myriads of angels. Jesus said when he was arrested, uh, Peter, put your sword away. If I want to, I can call on uh, 12 legions of angels. A legion is 6,000, 12 times 6, last I checked, 72,000 angels. He could have sent one of them. But he didn't. He sent his son. And he could have sent, he could have sent somebody, and he could have just sent an angel and said, okay, you go... Um, or, and you lead the armies of heaven. One day the armies of heaven will come, but he didn't do that initially. He said, you go and you impose order, you suppress conflict, impress, impress justice on, all, on everybody, and impose unity on the whole world. Uh, he also didn't send, you'll notice, a delegation of gifted human beings, either men or women. Uh, he didn't say, okay, you listen to these fellas and they'll, or these ladies and they'll teach you how to find peace. He didn't say that. Uh, instead, he sent his one and only son into the world to establish peace. Uh, consider, now these, are, these are his qualifications. This is from Colossians. Listen to this here. Colossians chapter 1 um, I want to look at verse 15 down through verse uh, 20 here. Okay? And look at the, these are the qualifications of Jesus to be the ambassador of peace into the world from God. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, that is, chief heir, over all creation. For by him all things were created. 
things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, isn't that amazing? That God, when he wanted to make peace, didn't send a, second, a secondary lieutenant or some other kind of human emissary to us. He sent his son. The most qualified, highest ranking person there was to send, he sent. And that son sacrificed his blood. And in fact, this wasn't a casual plan. First Peter 1.20 tells us, that Jesus was chosen for the task before the creation of the world. In other words, before, before God decided to fling the universe into existence and to create the earth and all of its inhabitants and all of the creation, he knew there would be, first of all, conflict between us and one another and between us and God. And he planned before the world was created to send Jesus to solve it. That's an amazing thing. Um, and that tells us that making peace is one of God's highest priorities. He expects, and because of that, as we who follow him, he expects us to place the same kind of priority on establishing peace in our relationships. Uh, he teaches us never to delay going to someone who may have something against us. In fact, his priority for peace is so high that he tells us to seek reconciliation with one another even ahead of going to worship him. I don't know if you ever thought about that. But he says, he says, Jesus says this, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you're at worship, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. It's a higher priority to God that we be at peace with each other than that we even be at peace with him and worshiping him. What more could God say to indicate how high a priority he places on peace between people? He sent the most exalted ambassador he had to send he commands us not to approach him in worship unless we are at peace and that we have made every effort to reconcile with one another. And, and since God has placed peace at the top of his priority list, I think we need to do likewise, right? Uh, second thing, real peace is expensive, okay? Uh, consider the price that was paid to restore our peace. The Son of God, the exalted, the one and only, who was one with the Father before all things, was sent from the glory of heaven into our earth and all of our mess, into our fallenness and corruptness in the form of a helpless baby. 
to travel miles and miles over dusty roads through the desert wearing the only clothes that he owned. To be mocked and beaten and tortured and killed. To give his life, which was infinitely precious for all of us. And if his, you know, if you think about it, if Jesus' atoning work could be converted into gold, you know, if the value of his blood shed on our behalf could be converted into gold, you would not have enough room in all the vaults in all the world to contain it. Jesus' blood and his death was that precious. It is that expensive. Why would God be willing to pay that kind of a price for our salvation? Because over and over in Scripture you see that God loves us. Over and over. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Because of God's great love for us, he's willing to pay the, the supreme price that's necessary to bring us peace. Or later on in, in his first letter, the Apostle John uh, say, says this. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is what love looks like. He sa- then he concludes, he says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Now, note the response that God is looking for here. He says, if we understand and we treasure the love that God has for us, then we ought to extend it to each other. We need to pay whatever price is necessary to be at peace and in relationships of love with each other. Because it was not good enough for God to just restore peace between human beings and him. He wants to also restore peace between people. And Peter tells us, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. And a lot of times when you're in conflict, I just tell you, just speak for myself here. When I'm in conflict, the last thing I want to do is to humble myself under the mighty hand of God that he might lift me up. I want justice. I want them to hurt as bad as as they hurt me. Right? You know, and if I... If I, I find something interesting with me, you know, like uh, Karen and I sometimes get into conflict and, we'll, you know, I'll be like ready to just, <clears throat> I have my arguments all, you know, I have kind of one of those lawyer kind of brains, you know, and I'll have all my arguments ready and she'll say, honey, I'm so sorry. And it just jams my stuff, you know. <laughs> and I go, oh, man, I had all this stuff ready to just drop the load on you, you know. And, and I, want, well, I don't want you to apologize yet. I want you to feel as bad as I feel right now, you know. Um, and, and, God, and God says through Peter, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up. Believe it or not, 
and I, and I have trouble with this sometimes, the entire balance of justice and grace in the universe does not hang on me being vindicated. Okay? And it doesn't hang on you either. But that's what we want. This is what Jesus says, though. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take this, take this plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And when you stop dwelling on what everybody else has done to you, then you can start focusing on your relationship to God and then your sin, and then all of a sudden you can see clearly whether or not there's even been sin against you. Philippians 2, uh, 3 and 4, the apostle writes this. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And sometimes when we are in conflict, it, it, we have to realize that other people may understand the conflict situation better than we do. And we need to look out also for their interests and identify their needs as well as our own. Because sometimes our, our interests are legitimate. And we have legitimate gripes and legitimate beefs with this other person. But we also need to consider them and their interests. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And this gets down to the nub of it for me. You know, what about the person who has deeply hurt me? What about the person who gossiped about me? What about the person who broke my trust? What about the person who didn't keep, my, keep a commitment that they made to me? What about the person who damaged my property or my reputation? Jesus says, real peace is expensive. And sometimes there's a cost that we have to be willing to pay to reestablish peace in our relationships. And since Jesus paid a far, far, far greater price for us to be at peace with him there's no price that we should be unwilling to pay to be at peace with one another third thing real peace requires an ally and this is important uh, that we need an ally because the fact is is that we don't have I don't know if you've noticed but we don't have as people the resources within ourselves to be able to do this we don't. If making peace, if staying married, as an example, to Karen, we've been married now 13 years, uh, celebrated our anniversary June 1st. Uh, it's the grace of God that enables that to happen. Let me tell you, okay? Because I am a hard-to-live-with person. Um, Karen would tell you that so is she. And the fact is, is that it is the grace of God that enables that to happen. Why? Because if it depends just on us and just on our uh, resources to be able to be at peace with one another and to love each other and to sacrifice for each other and to consider the, other's inter- the other person's interest above your own, it, I haven't got that. I don't know if you noticed. Okay, I haven't got that. And she doesn't either. And I'll make a bet 
of whatever amount of money that you would like to put on the table, that you don't have those resources either. (laughs) To come to peace with other people is very, very difficult. And so we need an ally. We need an outside source of power to enable that to happen. And thank God he has provided it for us, right? Um, Colossians, go back to Colossians chapter 1. Take a look at who our ally is. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In who? In Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself, what things? All things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. That pretty much includes everything. Um, By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so Jesus has become our ally. His his reconciliation that he aims to bring to the world is all-encompassing. There's nothing on heaven or on earth that's not included. And he is near us, and he is ready to place all of his resources at our disposal. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, um, the Bible there says that the Savior wants us to know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. In other words, the same power by which Jesus got out of the grave and exalted Jesus to the right hand of the Father is available to you and I through our relationship with Jesus to bring peace into our relationships. I find that tremendously encouraging tremendously encouraging. You mean the same power that wakes up a guy who's been dead for three days, stuck behind a rock, wrapped up like a mummy, and gets him out of the, out of the tomb is available to me to bring peace into my relationships with other people? Yes, that's what I'm saying. We have an ally. We have the Holy Spirit of God living within us. We have instructions from God's Word, and we have the power that raised Christ from the dead to bring to bear on conflicts that we get into. That is the most hopeful statement I have ever heard. I can have a life of characterized by peace because I have the power of God at my disposal to bring peace to my relationships. Uh, fourth point, um, real peace is found only at the cross. You may not know this, but if you total it up, Americans spend literally billions of dollars every year on trying to resolve conflict. They go to counselors, and they go to bookstores for self-help books. They go to uh, courtrooms and seminars, and all about, you know, you, I mean, if you want to write a best-selling book, okay, write a, write a book on how to resolve conflict in marriage, and you'll sell a million copies, okay? Um, you know, you have books like His Needs and Her Needs, and getting your husband to talk to you, and you know all these kinds of things, right? What are all those based on? The fact that when you get two people to say, I do, they do this. That's what they do in a relationship, right? Or you, get, you know what the most common form of businesses to break up is? Partnerships. Two guys or two gals decide to get together, and we're going to work together, and within... Just a few months, they're at one another's throat over issues of money and business direction and who's going to do what and whether you're pulling your weight and all of this kind of stuff. 
right? And Americans literally spend billions of dollars trying to regain some measure of peace in their relationships. But real peace is found only at the cross. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 says that, that peace is made through the shed blood of Jesus. Through the shed blood of Jesus. Uh, with his blood, he purchased our peace. Acts 4.12 says, remember, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's at the cross that our salvation is revealed and our peace is revealed and the gospel of Jesus Christ is made known. Jesus frees us in his death from the penalty of sin and death and gives us the ability to break free from all the sinful attitudes that we have and all the sinful habits that we have that foster conflict. And so as we come to Jesus at the cross and find forgiveness there, we find also the ability to extend forgiveness to other people. Uh, And it's wise, by the way, and helpful to learn these principles and to participate in the peacemaking Sunday school class that we got going on. We had a bunch of people there this morning. It was a great time. The video is awesome. The small group discussion is great. And it's good to participate in these things and to learn some very practical principles. But the thing is, is that all that will only produce superficial, short-term, non-lasting results if we don't get our arms around the fact and be inspired by the fact of what Jesus did for us. Because as I look at Jesus and what he has done for me, to bring peace between me and God, then all of a sudden, my conflict between me and someone else seems a lot smaller scale. You know, we looked at that parable of the unforgiving servant some months back, you know, and I I totaled up for you what the servant owed his master. It was something like $8 billion in today's terms. You know, uh, your job at 7-Eleven or even at Caterpillar is not going to make that up. You're not going to ever make enough money to pay that back, right? And and the servant whose fellow servant owed him like 50 bucks went out and got mad at him and threw him into debtor's prison. And the master was upset. Why? Because he's like, I forgave you $8 billion and you couldn't forgive 50 bucks? What's your problem? And if we get a hold of the idea that Jesus has brought peace between us and God, then all of a sudden... We can extend real peace to other people. And even between nations and tribes and confederations and groups that have been at war for a long time, if we, under, if we all understand that real peace is found in Jesus and at the cross. A uh, last point here, and I'll move quickly. Uh, real peace has eternal consequences. Real peace has eternal consequences. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he opens the door for us to be fully reconciled to God and to enter into the halls of heaven, right? We all believe that. It's, what the God, it's at the center of the gospel that, that God makes a way for us who were unclean and corrupted to be welcomed into not only the presence of God, but the very family of God to be adopted in as sons and daughters, and to be made one and stand before God at the same level as Jesus. I don't know if you know that. But Jesus is our Lord, but he's also our brother. 
Jesus is a begotten son of the Father. You and I are adopted sons and daughters. But we stand before God at the same level as Jesus. Peace has eternal consequences. Uh, Jesus promised in John 6, 47, I tell you the truth, he who believes has, present tense, everlasting life. And inherent in that gift is the privilege and responsibility of sharing the message of eternal life with other people. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians five seventeen to 20, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. In other words, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, Christ was God's ambassador to you to announce and to provide uh, peace between you and God. And we, who have been reconciled to God, carry the message of reconciliation of, uh, between God and people to other people so that they might be at peace with God and that they might be part of the family of God with us and that they might uh, stand before God in heaven that they might be adopted as a son or a daughter of God, that they might be at peace not only with God, but with us. Real peace has eternal consequences. Um, Jesus said this also, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The love that is the most eye-catching and persuasive to people around the world is the love that we share with one another and also the love that we share with people who do not love us or even people who have been very nasty to us or mistreated us or abused us, as the case might be. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and also in the Sermon on the Plain? He said... If you love those who love you, what good is it? Don't even pagans do that. I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right? And so if we can love not only one another who are in the body, but also love even those who don't like us and whom, frankly, we don't like, and find a way to pray for them and uh, be engaged in loving relationships with them. All of a sudden, we have increased our witness and our ability to testify that we know truly the true and living God. Because we are at peace with each other. We are at peace even with our enemies. And the world has nothing to say in response to that. Real peace has eternal consequences. When we forgive and we love those who have deeply hurt us, when we humbly confess our own wrongs, we are demonstrating the power and the reality of the reconciling love of God expressed to us in Jesus Christ. And we have established real peace of the sort that God means to establish in Christ over the entire earth and with all of creation. So let me just say this in conclusion here. The world is hungry 
for peace. Not the temporary sort that they've got 280 million internet pages devoted to, but real peace, peace that lasts, peace that is real, peace that deals with the real issues and problems that we have. Uh, And when we're in conflict, we have an opportunity. Remember, those of you who are in small group this morning, Sunday school, conflict is an opportunity to demonstrate the love of God which has come to us in Christ and to glorify God in it. And we have the ability to do that to the extent that we will obey God. So may God grant us the grace to do that in a way that it points clearly to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Now, final challenge here for you this week.